The following is not safe for work. The following has a content warning due to a discussion about a visual representation of a potential suicide by a child. There is a spoiler warning for Bungo Stray Dogs up to chapter 110, as well as a spoiler warning for the Bungo Stray Dogs light novel Beast. Hello, I'm Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm recording this on Monday, September 4, 2023. On this Labor Day weekend, remember that it is labor that got you a Labor Day. And in addition to Labor Day, today is also when the newest chapter of Bungo Stray Dogs came out, that being chapter 110. I wanted to record a reaction to this chapter. This won't be a live reaction as I have finished reading the chapter. But as a trade-off, I hope it is a bit more thought out rather than just gut instinct reactions. Unfortunately, this is a frustrating chapter to read, so it is still going to be a very emotional reaction rather than a logical argument. There's also a transcript for today's reaction available at DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. And before I start, I will say that this reaction is not only based on what I read on the manga page, but also reactions I already saw from fans online. Therefore, I have cited those fan reactions and will refer to them elsewhere in this reaction as relevant. You can find links to those fan reactions in the description and in the transcripts. Please read them first before proceeding with this audio as they are the ones who got a lot of this figured out long before I had any idea what was happening in this chapter. There are also timestamps in the description. Chapter 110 of Bungo Stray Dogs is titled In the Small Room Part 6. The series is written by Kaka Asagiri and illustrated by Sango Harukawa, English translation by Kevin Gifford, lettering by Bianca Pistillo. Bungo Stray Dogs is available from Yen Press. You can find a list of vendors at yenpress.com. And a disclaimer, I didn't like this chapter. Let's face it, I'm going to be reviewing this chapter more out of an emotional reaction to the text rather than with a more logical approach or with focus only on the plot. To the credit of this chapter, it does make me want to see what happens next. But the cliffhanger structure for every chapter is getting tiresome. The structure where it seems like characters are taking actions because that is the only way to get the plot moving, but which makes characters come across less as believable people. Not realistic people, just people I believe could exist and who would react as they do in these situations. And in which characters seem to be taking these actions as if they believe this will all work out for them because the plot says so. I appreciate that Bungo Stray Dogs is a series that refers to a larger history of literature. I don't think the series is self-aware enough that a character can just assume they are to act like this because they are the hero of their own story. And unfortunately, Aya's focus on justice is making her decision in this chapter come across as unbelievable, but we'll get to that. I had debated whether to approach this chapter page by page or by topics and themes because, honestly, I can't tell whether this chapter is a mess or my reaction to it is a mess because 
there is a lot that is complicated and divisive, especially given the content involved. Speaking of which, to reiterate, there is a content warning for this chapter about suicide, so let's start with that. Let's try a page-by-page -page reaction first. Before we get to the actual action of the manga chapter, let's look at the two-page cover spread included. I'm pretty sure I have said repeatedly that at no point in the manga have we seen all members of the Decay of the Angel interacting. We haven't seen that happen in canon. I don't think we've had any post-chapter gag at the end of a collective volume with all five Decay members interacting. I don't know whether the comedic spin-off manga Wan has had the Decay all interacting. Bram has not been in these scenes. I am almost certain we haven't seen Fukuchi interacting with Theodore or Gogol or Sigma, which, honestly, I hate that. Fukuchi is supposed to be the leader of this cabal, yet we have not seen how Fukuchi engages with the others aside from Bram. Is Theodore intimidated by Fukuchi? Does Gogol mock him? Does Sigma even know Fukuchi is the leader? Because Sigma is more afraid of Theodore coming after him, so forgive me if I think Theodore is actually the star screen to Fukuchi's Megatron and is going to stab him in the back. The artwork in this new chapter with Theodore eyeing Fukuchi's back makes me think, yep, Theodore is going to stab him like he stabbed Dazai in Dead Apple. Granted, I don't think these page spreads foreshadow much in way of canon. See also the Toga and Ochako reactions every time there is artwork of them outside of the manga in My Hero Academia. But if there is one thing people online, and I regret I don't have links to their remarks right now, one thing people online notice is that each member of the Decay is in attire similar to their nation of origin. Theodore in Russian attire, I assume Gogol's attire is Ukrainian, Fukuchi in Japanese attire, Bram, I assume, in Irish attire. That has led people to try to figure out whether Sigma is in any attire that hints at his national origin. And I swear if Sigma is indeed Ian Fleming, as one person online suggests on that shitty bird app, the shitty bird app that is making bigotry worse in this country, get off the shitty bird app. If Sigma is indeed Ian Fleming, I'm going to be so irate because God is insufferable having Sigma as a James Bond character when his entire point is that he is so not a James Bond type, which should be Asagiri's typical ironic approach to famous authors, and that association would lower my esteem towards Sigma. But enough of that whining, let's get on some more whining about the plot itself. Our first page of action is Bram letting out a noise as the table, tied to Bram's holy sword lodged into his body, falls off the building. As gravity takes effect on the table, Bram lets out a shout of pain. I am going to give the artwork more credit than I want to, given that I do not believe for a second that any physical weight is going to get that sword out of Bram. But we'll get to that, so as I'm going to repeat a lot today, Put a pin in that. In any case, the table falls, the table is tied to the sword, Bram lets out a shout of pain as the table tugs at the sword. 
and the table just stops in midair, still held up in the air by Bram's swords. There is a sound of roar through the airport. I assume the wind as all planes are grounded. Aya stares in disbelief. The table swings. We can hear the rope creaking. Let me pause here and make a weak complaint. I am tired of these cliffhangers. I call it a weak complaint because this is a serialized story. Of course you're ending with cliffhangers. However, upon rereading this chapter, and as we likely will see in the anime adaptation of this chapter, this start and stop approach affects the pacing and can take an audience out of a story, or affect their ability to stay engaged in the story. Any of us could have told you that the table was not going to yank that sword out. That sword is pretty much magic. It can't be physical weight that pulls that sword out. It has to be a magical weight, you know, like an ability or Bram breaking the curse on his own. But instead, we waited a month to get Aya realizing her plan fails and, oops, she's going to get herself killed, adding her weight to pull the sword out when, no, this is still magic, that won't work. We waited a month to just keep trying to pull the sword out? You know, when Mashal wasted months on his teacher cranking a dial to put more pressure on Mash's body to unlock his new power-up, that was hilarious because it kept cutting back to the characters commenting on how this was taking too long and was boring. The story was mocking this convention. Bungo Stray Dogs treats it without any irony when it comes off as bad writing. And yes, we will talk about self-awareness and story tropes in this chapter in a bit. Again, put a pin in that. Speaking of how tiresome this start and stop approach with cliffhangers harms a story, shameless plug, but listen to my audio commentary to Season 5, Episode 8, an episode that came out right before Chapter 110, in which the division across four storylines in Season 5, Episode 8 gets in the way of any consistent pace to the story. Episode 8 starts with one story about Atushi, and then I forget about that storyline about Atushi when the second storyline starts. Then I forget about the second storyline when the third storyline starts. Then I forget about the third storyline when the fourth storyline starts. Then the fourth storyline is interrupted by the first storyline about Atushi, which I forgot about, and rather than that shock reinforcing the similar shock Atushi feels in that moment, it's just a mess. It's a roller coaster. That should be fun and engaging. So it is possible I'm not the audience for this series. Or it's that I prefer when this series has built up the story without losing track of the lives of other characters. And speaking of one character who gets lost in this story, Hi Atushi. Someone shared with me remarks about how they have felt about the current season of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga in relation to something someone posted on that shitty bird app. That is making bigotry worse. When it comes to an anime that has supporting characters more engaging than the protagonists, and that discussion led to reflecting on whether Atushi really is less engaging than the supporting cast of Bungo Stray Dogs. We will talk more about Atushi in a moment, 
because that is exactly the problem here. Aya said repeatedly that Aya is not stealing Ajashi's spotlight. That is a bullshit argument. Rather, it is the story itself doing Ajashi no favors because the story is forgetting Ajashi. Aya isn't doing anything that gets in Ajashi's way. The story is correctly focusing on Aya. The story can focus on both Aya and Ajashi. But the story has decided Ajashi has not been a compelling protagonist since Gogol beat him. That is harsh. I had despised arguments that find Atushi to be annoying or boring or unsympathetic. That is bullshit. He is engaging. He is exciting. He is sympathetic. But the story is ignoring what Atushi has accomplished before because they made him too powerful. He already beat Akutagawa in Season 1, Fitzgerald in Season 2, and Gon in Season 3. Yes, Akutagawa and others helped Atushi beat Fitz and Gon. Yes, it is fair to say this season is about whether Atushi is strong enough on his own to win on his own. Instead, the point seems to be that Atushi, even with the help of others, still can't win. That is not only deflating because it doesn't let Atushi rise to the occasion, but deflating also because the story is showing Atushi has no help or that any help he does have is still not enough to win the day. But I digress. Because the story now thinks Atushi is too powerful, now the story has to introduce his self-doubt since Dead Apple and the orphanage headmaster dying to suggest he is not a good fighter, when he already showed he is a good fighter, so that Kunikita can start a training arc with him. That then ends abruptly because Gogol and the hunting dog separate Atushi from Kunikita, so now we're to believe Atushi can't fight well at all. Listen to what I just said. That was all start and stop. It's the same sputtering problem the cliffhangers are causing to the story and it ignores prior moments in the continuity of the story. Atushi won before, now he doesn't. It ignores power scaling. It undermines any assumption that the tiger ability is really that powerful. We will talk about how this may be misdirection in a moment when we get to how the tiger ability may cure Akutsugawa of his vampiricism. But for now, before we turn back to Aya, let me just say, all of this has led Atushi to suffer as only what he is in this chapter. A victim who doesn't take action. He has been reduced to a prop, not a character. And that is insulting to his progression and to his role in the story. I get it. This is fiction. Every character is just an instrument to advance the plot. But when your manga is about the art of storytelling by making it a story about stories? It is galling to build up Atushi so much as a character we are to like, but then waste him in fights and any forward progression in this story. If he is the protagonist, then let him take an action that responds to the plot, not just lie down and let Akutagawa bite him. We'll say more about Atushi in a moment. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on how the story is failing Atushi, by not acknowledging where he was and how far he has come and why he should have been able to protect himself against Akutagawa, 
You can listen to my audio commentaries to the season four and five episodes. A playlist is on my YouTube channel. Back to Aya and Bram. We get a good page of Aya and Bram looking so small in an above it all image. I can't fault series illustrator Sango Harukawa too much on paneling, facial expressions, and action. What little action we get with Aya's upcoming plummet, even if I don't like the staging, more on that in a moment. And what little action we get with Akutsugawa about to bite Atushi. Again, we'll get to that in a moment. And I want to give credit again to translator Kevin Gifford for keeping Aya's Kansai accent. I appreciate reinforcing the differences in how Aya and Bram talk. It heightens the tension and dynamic these two have with each other. Back to the plot itself, as other readers online pointed out, I apologize for not having the links in front of me to share. Bram consoles Aya that the problem is not her plan, but that she does not have enough weight to pull this sword out. Put a pin in that as I'll repeat into annoyance in this reaction because I stubbornly refuse to believe that removing the sword is a matter of weight, it is a matter of magic. Whether Bram needing to want to free himself or someone disabling Fuguchi to cancel his seal on the holy sword. But let's move on with the plot. We cut to the military ship launching a nuclear weapon at an unnamed city, one said to have a population of 30 million people. The military officer says they have 32 impacts. I assume 30 seconds? I don't know anymore. Dazai and Theodore's duel was less than 30 minutes. Time means nothing in a serialized story where more happens than believably fits in that time frame. Also, not to force the real world into this story, because Bungo is an alternate history where world wars and alliances vary. But I was curious, which city is this? It has 30 million people. In our real world, cities at around 30 million as of 2018 include Tokyo at 39.1 million, Jakarta at 34.5 million, Delhi at 32.2 million, Seoul at 26 million, Shanghai at 24.8 million, Manila at 24.1 million, Sao Paulo at 22 million, and Beijing at 21.9 million. Other large cities include Mexico City, Mumbai, and New York City, but none of them are quite at 30 million. The missile is going along the water. Did Fuguchi call in an attack at the Pacific, hence this may hit Tokyo, Shanghai, or Manila? Seoul and Beijing may be a stretch given proximity to the ocean. Or is it launched from the Indian Ocean and will hit Jakarta? It's not Asagiri's job to do world building here, but this is bothersome to not get a gauge on where this attack is happening. Anyway, enough geography. Let's move on to queer text with Akutsugawa and Atushi. Vampire Akutsugawa is about to bite Atushi on the neck, further emphasizing the sexualized and queer energy behind vampires in popular culture. Vampire Akutsugawa leans forward, his fangs just scraping against Atushi's neck before we cut away before he bites in. That's pretty much self-evident. 
vampires, queerness, Akutsugawa's obsession with Atsushi. I can't really add more to that queer reading right now. Let's see how this pans out if Akutsugawa gets his mind back. If I sound bored with this description, it's also because even the story seems to have given up. Atsushi is letting this happen. I don't mean that as victim blaming, I mean that he literally says he is giving up. But let's actually listen to what Atsushi is saying. In the official English translation, Atsushi thinks this is it. Based on the scanlation I saw, I think it's ambiguous what Atsushi means. If, as the official English translation suggests, he means that he has given up, that is frustrating. But Atsushi's arc since losing to Gogol has been entirely frustrating that he just has not risen to the occasion that his ability gives him. If, as the scanlation implied, he means this is all going according to plan, and that his tiger ability, when absorbed by Akutsugawa drinking his blood, will save them both, then fine, at least we're making Atsushi look more intelligent and a schemer like his teacher Dazai. I don't have every post in front of me that made the following argument, but enough people online such as Tumblr accounts, Sad Emo Dip Die, and The Lesbo Dodo hypothesize that Atsushi's Were Tiger ability will be absorbed by Akutsugawa, and the Tiger ability returns Atsushi to his former state regardless of injuries, so that ability ingested by Akutsugawa may cure him of his terminal sickness and cancel out the vampiricism. I'm not entirely convinced. It's logic-y enough to work, it fits in terms of plot convenience, but it's the same problem as if Aya has an ability that she knows to jump. Both instances of Aya knowing to jump and Atashi knowing Akutagawa's bite will stop the vampire plague, both hinge on the idea that the plot says so, as opposed to any believable impotence within the story to have led either character to such a eureka moment. If this is Atsushi's plan, at least it's him finally taking some agency, seeing as he has been walked over so much in recent fights against Akutagawa, Teruko, Fukuchi, and Gogol that if he takes one more loss, I don't know what we're going to do with him. Again, the plot for him since Gogol's arrival has been that Kunikita said Atsushi is not good at using a Tiger ability, even though the cannibalism arc showed no, he's really good at using the Tiger ability, and he needed to fight better before using that ability to its fullest. Unless this story is going to do a curveball and reveal that Atsushi's strength is not combat but compassion, I don't see this moment occurring to Kutsugawa as having satisfying thematic closure. Let's get back to the manga. We cut back to Aya. And here is where I rant. I really hate that I am emphasizing that I'm not bothered by Aya's agency in this arc. I say that so thoroughly that it sounds insincere and like I'm covering for a lie. That's not my point. My point is that after enough decades of bullshit Mary Sue lies in popular fandom, I'm not interested in giving fodder to the worst people online who can't stand to see a girl helping win the day. No, 
My problem is not Aya being the hero, but I am bothered by how she thought any of these ideas would work. And to reiterate for emphasis, I like Aya. She's entertaining. She's likable. She had a personality that stood out in her introductory chapter. Her dynamic with Kunikida worked, where he had to rein her in, and now she's the one having to rein in Bram. It shows that her characterization is flexible enough that she can carry a story because she can take on a different role depending on which characters she interacts with. And then this arc gave us her backstory, her origin story, filled in the blanks as to why she wants attention, wants to do good, wants to help, is concerned about justice when she has a cop father who is hardly just to her. That all works. But I am thinking I'll tie Bram to a desk and fling the desk off the building is a silly plan. I don't think it's a plan that a child will come up with. I think it is the plan a desperate person will come up with. And that should work. It should remind us of how desperate Sigma got and what silly lengths he went to and which poor decisions he made. But then Aya thinks her own weight will bring the table down and that's too much. Or maybe that's not Aya's real plan. We'll talk about what her real plan is. But let's go back to how we got to this point of Aya jumping off the building. Last time I did a review of a Bungo manga chapter, I don't think I emphasized enough how silly this plan was by Aya. How was one table going to be heavy enough to pull the sword from Bram? And that's a silly question on my part because that's not even what is the problem here. It's not that the sword is buried so deep into Bram that enough force is needed to pull it loose. It's that this is magic. Unless the story itself so far has contradicted me, there is no earthly force that can pull the sword out. I can't suspend disbelief here. I could suspend disbelief and assume that, since Fukuchi is the one bonded with that holy sword, if Fukuchi decided to remove the sword or if Fukuchi died, then the sword could be removed. That would make more sense whether with in-story evidence or in terms of believable writing. But for whatever reason, Asagiri has sent Aya off on what seems like a shaggy dog story. How did she think one desk, even pulled down with enough gravity, could dislodge Bram? Granted, Bram himself tells Aya that they needed weight, so I could be wrong. The story is itself saying over and over again that it is weight alone that can pull out the sword, which I repeat myself, this is a magic sword. I don't think gravity and weight are enough to get that thing out of Bram. And Oh god, while I'm writing this, I realize that Kenji was right there and is super strong. Why didn't Aya just have him try to pull out the sword? God damn it, I am so tired of this arc. Kenji should have taken Aya right to Lucy's room, or pulled out the sword. So instead, the story has to force it so that Techo just happens to show up to disrupt those plans. The seams that keep this story together are showing, and I don't like it. Let's get back to the plot and math. Aya says the table is 20 kilos. That's about 44 pounds. 
a 10-year-old like Aya may be about 32 kilos or about 70 pounds. I appreciate that we are establishing that Aya weighs more than the table. I don't appreciate that we think that weight is enough to dislodge the sword because if that was the case, then someone else could dislodge that sword far earlier with a bigger weight. I get the point that Aya is working with limited resources and a countdown clock. These are not ideal solutions, and that should make her this desperate. But it is also frustrating writing because even a combined weight of just over 100 pounds is probably still not enough to pull out the holy sword. It's why I can't get invested in Aya's sacrifice. It is not suicidal in the sense that she is sacrificing her life to rescue Bram. It is suicidal because she will die for nothing because the combined weight still isn't enough to pull the sword out of Bram. Again, I am ignoring what even Bram says that this is a matter of weight when I don't think it is a matter of weight. I think it's bad writing because we haven't established how much force would pull out the sword so it doesn't make Aya sacrifice intelligent or noble, it's just silly. And Tumblr user, Soup That Is Too Hot, has been doing an absurdist reading of the manga to justify this silliness. So, maybe this is just me not enjoying absurdist fiction, but I find that reading to be unhelpful for a series that, despite its cyanine genre, is still running on shonen action fighting tropes that clash horribly with an absurdist structure. This isn't Kafka's metamorphosis. This is a bunch of characters trying to act like superheroes to avert a nuclear catastrophe because some old guy doesn't like that his best friend adopted a detective boy and created his own detective agency. This isn't to be read as absurd for some deeper understanding of the characterization, or the plot conventions, or the genre. It's absurd because the writing doesn't seem to let the characters make believable choices. I can't believe Aya would jump. I can't believe Aya would think a table by itself would be enough weight. I can't believe no one has said, the freaking sword is magic, you can't pull it out by weight alone. I would also bring up the question how, in chapter 109, did Aya think Bram was going to remain stationary and not get pulled down by the desk as well? But it looks like chapter 110 answered that question, as it looks like Bram is tied or bolted down to the roof, so fine, that fits. So, the desk isn't heavy enough, I think the sword is magic, and that the desk was never going to work, and then Aya says she'll just add more weight by jumping off too. Put a pin in what Aya meant by weight. If she means physical weight, that's not going to get the sword out. If she means an emotional weight, such as an impetus to get Bram to feel an emotion to get the sword out of himself and save Aya, then weight would work here. But we'll get to that lowest lane approach in a moment. There is a potentially persuasive explanation why Aya is jumping off the building, but please indulge me as I go through what I thought initially and why it wasn't working for me. I already said the desk wasn't heavy enough. Aya then thinks maybe she is heavier than the desk 
and can be that way to pull it down. Put a pin in that, as I had assumed I meant physical weight. And that led to my nitpick. Aya could barely move that desk on her own. There is no way she weighs that much more than that desk. So, that's the first problem. Aya claims she is more than that desk, but I'm struggling to believe that. The second problem is, Aya doesn't even do a running jump to head down, grab the desk, and pull it down. She instead is doing a fall reminiscent of Dazai in both the anime's first opening and in the alternate universe of the Beast Light novel. She's not falling to bring weight down, she's going to miss that desk. This all looks like a fall of defeat or resignation. That's manipulative visual staging. It's a choice by the illustrator Harukawa that I don't like. I get that this image is supposed to convey that Aya is not quite defeatist, but definitely not heroic and awe-inspiring in doing this. And I kind of wish we just went with that cliche. Instead, this is haunting. And I don't like the story toying with my emotions like this. I know a work of literature is going to toy with your emotions, an image that is to draw an emotional response out of you. It'd be nearly impossible to find a work of literature that doesn't seize you by your feelings. But Aya isn't resigned. She's desperate. Aya would only be resigned if it was a performance and... Again, Bungo Stray Dogs does not strike me enough as a story that is self-aware about its literary tropes. Aya doesn't know there is a reader seeing her do this. She isn't performing for any audience. Except for Bram. And that's when it hit me. But only after I read something by Tumblr account Little Homes. I'll get to that, but just wait a second. What I thought first was that Aya was going to unlock some ability. I can't find every one of the numerous other people who had the same thought that Aya would unlock an ability. If I could name just one, this idea was also offered by Tumblr user Terrified Pigeon. But the one other post that stood out was by Tumblr account Soup That Is Too Hot, who added to this point that I didn't. Tumblr accounts Soup That Is Too Hot and many others pointed out that perhaps there is an association between unlocking an ability and experiencing some traumatic event. Yes, this is too much like that quirk awakening bullshit from My Hero Academia, but at least that idea is literary enough to suit Bungo Stray Dogs, however much of a dull plot device I think it is. And its problems are mitigated by a few details. First mitigating detail, I can't really think of any ability we have seen in this story that isn't associated with some trauma or bad time. There isn't confirmation that this is how Kenji unlocked his ability, but it makes sense for, say, Atushi, who, even as a small child, brought out the tiger ability after Shibusawa's torture in the Dead Apple flashbacks, it makes sense for Aya to unlock an ability when falling from a building. But that opens its own problem, so yeah, put a pin in this too. 
let's go to the second metagame detail. Aya is named after a real-life author, so it makes sense she will reveal an ability. Again, same pin is put into this point as well, so just bear with me, I will entertain one particular counter-argument in a moment. But there is one counter-argument I need to respond to now. Just because Aya is named after an author, doesn't mean she has to have an ability, as we have characters named after authors without abilities, such as Rompo and Higuchi. But there are a few problems. First, it'd be boring to have a real-life author in the story and not give them an ability. Second, Rompo lacking an ability actually enriches the story, whereas not giving one to Aya seems to limit what she can add to the story. Third, Higuchi actually does have an ability, as confirmed by Asagiri, although it is not yet named or revealed. And fourth, let's not forget that Tachihara also was named after an author and seemed to have no ability, until he was revealed to have one, making this one really long extended setup and payoff over 70 or so chapters. See also how Ango, Tsuneida, Fukuzawa, and Mori didn't have their abilities completely confirmed until far later in the manga. Okay, so Aya may unleash some ability. If I had to take a guess, I think it'll be a gravity-related one, based on the title of the real-life Aya Koda's book Flowing and Chuya's cameo in her OVA. But just because the story knows Aya will unlock an ability, doesn't mean Aya does. Aya goes into this monologue about how she knows how these stories work, that the good guys win, that justice prevails. I get that she is a 10-year-old child whose father is a cop, and I still find this unbelievable. I hate the excuse that, well, this is a kid, that's how a kid would act. No. I get that a child is not a small adult, I think writers think that means a kid is ignorant, naive, or foolish. Kids can be similar to adults in how they react to a situation. It's more as whether whether they understand why they are reacting this way. So Aya thinking in a metatextual way is not a problem because she's 10 years old. Aya thinking in a metatextual way is a problem because she is acting like she already knows she's in a story and she doesn't know that. That is why I really do not like this chapter. It assumes Aya knows she is going to be saved, and I don't like that. It's not that Aya can't be a brilliant strategist like Theodore, Rombo, and Dazai. I would emphasize even those three are tiresome as they keep making plans that are far too clean and successful to be believable. That is also why I am hesitant to insult this story when suddenly it's a child and a girl like Aya doing it, hence making my argument sound ageist and sexist. But Aya herself has said she is not some brilliant strategist, she hasn't shown that kind of ingenuity, and her successful planning in this arc so far, while smart plans like kidnapping Bram and hiding in the laundry truck, are believable for any person, not just someone her age, but anyone who had enough evidence. She is a pragmatic, smart person, not a god-tier genius like Rompo at all. 
to have her theorize and then act out jumping off the building is too much of a smart move without enough evidence for someone like her to have pieced together. Now, there is a way to redeem this story detail if Asagiri goes in that direction. If Aya does jump, unlocks an ability that just happens to work, and is asked later by Bram why she thought that would work, if she does Lois Lane and says, I didn't know it would work, I just took a leap of faith, then sure, I'll go with that. But since I brought up Lois Lane, let's get to that idea Tumblr user Little Holmes had about what I thought of Aya pulling on a performance to get Bram to act. Aya thought Aya would unlock an ability. Little Holmes has another idea, one that is very much Lois putting herself in danger for Superman to show up, one that is Aya putting on a performance. Aya already knows Bram cares, so she may think Bram needs that push to finally get the sword out of himself by his own willpower, or to exert more control over vampires. As we saw, he already could do, despite Fukuchi, when he got that one vampire that kicked Aya to back off. And when Aya, this person that he sees as like his dead wife or his dead daughter, is going to die, that motivates Bram. There are problems I have with this approach, making Aya a girl the impetus for Bram a man to take action is similar to the pseudo-fridging or just straight up fridging we already had with the cat burglar getting killed and Merceau by Fyodor. Then again it is enough of an earned trope that can work because Asagiri has successfully set up the parental concern Bram has for Aya. An impressive accomplishment seen as Bram and Aya haven't known each other that long. I anticipate they have known each other for maybe less than an hour, seen as Dazai and Theodore right now are still operating under that 30-minute deadline before their self-administered poison kicks in. There are other theories online. Tumblr user E. Laura Lee thinks Aya could be revealed as a descendant of Bram, and hence inherit his powers to stop this vampire apocalypse? Maybe? I don't know. I'm tired. This chapter has been on my mind for two days while I was doing more important work, so I'm just irritated at how this story is going. Aya has jumped, come back in a month for some explanation how she survives this that I hope proves me wrong, but which I fear is going to be an ass-pulled deus ex machina that feels unearned or disrupts the themes or messages I thought this story was going for. In any case, I'll stop here. Thanks for listening to this reaction to the newest chapter of Bungo Stray Dogs. I think it's clear I'm not happy with chapter 110. But what did you think of this chapter? How do you think Aya and Bram are getting out of this mess? Aya awakens her ability, Bram finally exerts his own agency and gets the sword out of himself to rescue Aya, and do you agree with me that Atushi is poorly used as a protagonist? Or is he about to enter the big brain club and be as much of a smart schemer as his mentor Dazai is? Let me know what you think in the comments. Would you like more of these reactions to chapters of Bungo Stray Dogs? 
I already do such reaction videos weekly on the Sunday morning manga livestream, Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. Would you prefer more of these audio-only reactions to earlier chapters and episodes of Bungo Stray Dogs? Let me know in the comments. Thanks for listening, and special thanks to Alec Roach, Emily Lauer, and Alexis Durant. You can also hear my audio commentaries for new Bungo Stray Dogs episodes every Sunday night on YouTube. Until that new audio commentary, and until the next manga chapter comes out in October, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good day. Bye.